pace place When the trail pace We ain't walking by sight It's a faith thing And you know the Lord Gotta get the glory So listen to this word And let go all of your worries Welcome, welcome, welcome everyone. Welcome back to another episode here on the Pace Plays Podcast for Motivational Slash Mindful Monday. This is episode two of season three. And today we're going to be talking about the wisdom that comes from above, godly wisdom. And so, of course, who talks about wisdom in the Bible? James, also Solomon, but (laughs) I'm going to be coming from the book of James today. So we're going to be digging into James chapter three, verses 13 to 18. And so pull out your Bibles, okay, or pull it up on your phone, on your app. It doesn't matter. Pull out your drinks, okay? I have a diet Coca-Cola over here, and it tastes so crazy. Like, y'all know that diet Coca-Cola tastes like they put Splenda in it? Like, the Splenda taste? I don't know if it's just me or what, but that's what I taste. But that's my drink, okay? (laughs) I got a diet Coca-Cola over here, so you guys pull out your tea, your coffee, whatever you have, and let's get into this word. So, James chapter 3, verses 13 to 18, and I am reading it in the King James Version. And it says, Who is a wise man and endowed with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. But if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not, and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. So that's Genesis. Look at me saying Genesis. <laughs> it's not Genesis. It's James. That is James chapter 3, verse 13 to 18 that I just read. And I just want to kind of give a little bit of backstory because in the book of James, in this chapter, he's kind of talking about, well, he's not kind of, he is most definitely talking about taming the tongue and how our tongue is powerful and how we should be using our mouth, our tongue to speak life. And when I say speak life, I mean, speak those things that are godly. Speak those things that are kind, right, Um, onto people, even onto ourselves. Like, we have to speak blessings over ourselves and over other people and not curses because the same proceedeth out of our mouths at one point 
curses and blessings. And but James tells us that that should not be. It shouldn't be like that. The only thing that should be coming out of our mouths is life. It is to encourage, to uplift. And so we get to verse 13 and James is saying, there's something that can help us to use the tongue properly. We can use our tongue properly if we are wise and if we are aware of the times that we're living in. We live in the end times and I'm not going to get all into end time situation because that would be like a whole nother podcast, but we are living in the end times and in such a time, we simply cannot afford to use our tongue improperly. Like for instance, to undermine one another or to disrespect one another. Like we simply cannot afford because the the day of judgment is so close and we don't know the time, nor the day, okay? But we are in the end times. And in these end times, we have to be wise and understanding. We have to be able to discern the people who we deal with and learn how to speak those things out of a wise and understanding heart and from a place of humility, but ultimately love. So that is why the question sounds, who is wise and understanding? When we look, go back into verse 13, he literally starts it off with who is a wise man and endowed with knowledge among you. The prophet Hosea, he actually speaks on this same thing in the book of Hosea, um, chapter 14, verse nine. And I actually want to go read it because it's so amazing when we can see Old Testament reference to what we're reading in the New Testament. And so it reads Hosea 14, verse nine, who is wise and he shall understand these things prudent and he shall know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the just shall walk in them, but the transgressors shall fall therein. But Hosea starts off his verse with who is wise. It's the same thing that James is saying here. Who is a wise man? This chapter is talking about a, a plea to return to the Lord. Like he's pleading with the people to be wise, to be understanding, to be able to walk in the ways of the Lord. Like God's ways result in a world that is full of peace under the rule of the Lord Jesus, wise and understanding is he who learns from the ways of God and then applies that to his life. And I find that to be so amazing because when we look at scripture, we can't just go based off of what we're reading. We have to have some type of real life application. 
We can learn from the past of God's people on how we should live today. We should learn that when we read Bible scripture of Old Testament of the children of Israel and everything that they did wrong, it should teach us what not to do and how to move forward in doing the right thing. Because even though the people, the children of Israel were not living up to God's standards, he still sent a prophet time and time again to tell them how they should be living and what they should be doing. And even in that, we can learn from that. We can see the correction of God in the ways of the children of Israel back then, but isn't it the same thing for us? It's so interesting because David also let us know in Psalms 107 verse 43, and it says, whoso is wise and will observe these things, even they shall understand the loving kindness of the Lord. But the, the question is, who is so wise and will observe these things? It seems that James was actually pondering on these verses as he was writing his own book. That he asks the question, and it, it means not that everyone is wise in understanding, but that he would want to appeal to the few who are wise in understanding. In Israel, there was mention of only one tribe of which could be said is wise in understanding the times. And we know that that's the tribe of Issachar, that God gave them the understanding of times to lead the people in prayer, to allow the people to know that it's time to pray. It's time for Passover. You know, it's time. Like, this is what hour it is. You know what I'm saying? So he gave them the understanding of time. If you understand that we live in the end time, then you also know that it does not come down to the words that we speak, but it's about behaviors. It's about a good behavior and the gentleness of wisdom. We have to start moving in wisdom, being able to righteously discern the things that need to be judged here in this earth. Such a conduct has got nothing to do with powerlessness, but on the contrary, with powerfulness because we are powerful in Christ. We have the authority in him as long as we are abiding in him. We never want to break off and feel like we can do it on our own because it's just not possible. The thing about it is that it's only a spiritual power. It's not natural. The power that we have in Christ is only spiritual.
it may manifest itself in the natural, but it's not a natural strength that we have. You see that in the perfecting life of Jesus, as he walked this earth, we can all see that his life was a spiritual life. And what he came to do was to save the spirit of man and take back what was taken from us in the beginning. So we can learn from him. It actually is so interesting because Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 11, verse 29, to take of my yoke and learn of me. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. If we learn from him and practice that in our lives, we will be an encouraging example to others. There's no doubt about it because whether we see it or not, there is somebody that's watching. There is somebody that's looking at your life and saying, man, she's a true believer. He's a true believer. Or they can say, man, they're such a hypocrite. This is why I don't like church folk. Right. Like it can go both ways. And this is why we have to walk by faith and not by sight. We have to walk in the wisdom of the Lord. And it's so interesting at this word wisdom. Um, I actually want to read the definition because it's just so imperative that we really get what this wisdom actually entails. It's a supernatural, supreme intelligence, such as belonging to God. The knowledge and practice of the necessity for godly and upright living. Now, this is the one that got me. It says, devout and proper prudence in intercourse with men, not disciples of Christ, skill and discretion and imparting Christian truth. So when we come into contact with people who are not believers, we should have the skill and the discretion, the wisdom and the understanding to impart the truth of the gospel to the unbelievers. We should be able to speak life and it goes right back to what James was saying in the beginning of chapter three about being mindful of the things that we speak with our tongue. James says nothing of that will happen, right? We will not be endowed with the wisdom from above. We cannot speak life if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart. In verse 14, it says, but if ye have bitter envying and strife in your heart, glory not and lie not against the truth. If we are envious, if you are begrudged against another person to have something because you don't have it, and you yourself want it, right? We desire being covetous of what other people have. 
That goes for both material and immaterial matters. Jealousy expresses itself in selfish ambition or strife. And strife arises because we begrudge another person for having something that we don't. It's just what Paul says in 1 Corinthians, not 1 Corinthians, it's in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. And I'm going to read it because we need to hear this sometimes. I'm going to read it in multiple versions. So the first version, I'm going to read it in the King James. And it says, For we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. It's just not wise. It's not a wisdom that God has endowed. It's not something that he wants for any of us. It's not a game of comparison. We don't have to covet it, be covetous of what other people have, of how other people are being blessed. We don't have to live that. I want to read it in the ESV version. It says, And not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. In the God words version, and this is the last version, just to drive the point home. We wouldn't put ourselves in the same class with or compare ourselves to those who are bold enough to make their own recommendations. Certainly, when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves to themselves, they show how foolish they really are. And I was just blown away because I was like, you know, Lord, thank you, because that scripture is so real. And it's just amazing at the word of God and how we should not have a zeal that is going against the will of God. And it's so crazy because the word envying in this scripture actually means to be zealous. It means zeal. And I found that to be so amazing. It actually says jealousy as of a husband. Like how amazing is that? And it automatically made me think about Exodus. Thou shalt not cover thy neighbor's house. Thou shalt not cover thy neighbor's wife, nor his hand servant, maid servant, man servant, child, oxen. Okay. Or anything that your neighbor has anything and our neighbors are anybody that we may come into contact with we shall not live in a covetous mindset and i actually want to go to exodus 2017 because the word covet means to desire to take pleasure in Something that is precious to another. Something that is greatly beloved that is not yours. 
We have to be mindful of that and really sit in that and tell ourselves like if we live in this jealousy and the envy and the strife in our hearts right we may not express that feeling but it's still in our hearts it tells us the glory not glory not but what we need to be asking for is for god to fix our hearts posture Allow God to fix those things that are wicked inside of our hearts because the word also tells us that our hearts are wicked. It is. And it's just that simple because of the lifestyle that we live, because of the fact that we're born in the sin. OK, so when we came out of the mother's womb, we were already in a sinful state. We have to receive that wisdom from above to be able to tame those things that are ungodly that are inside of us. James goes on to say, this wisdom, right, that comes out of jealous envying and strife, ain't this sin from above? It is worldly, it is sensual, and it is devilish. And now this is, this is, this was so good because these three words, it really took me out earthly, sensual, and devilish. <laughs> okay. To have such an attitude of jealous envy, it's not a sign of wisdom that is from above. But on the contrary, it's a wisdom that's from below very low. Okay. It's not divine heavenly wisdom, but it's, it's an earthly wisdom. It is not a wisdom that comes from the spirit of God, but from the natural feelings from our natural feelings. Just say your gut feeling. If you want to go there, it is natural wisdom for it is about the the satisfaction of our fleshly need. Like this wisdom is guided by the chief of demons, literally the devil, the father of lies, and is therefore also demonic by nature. Like the word tells us this. And it's so crazy because the word above, if we look at verse 15, the wisdom descended, this wisdom descendeth not from above. Okay, not from above. That word above means all things which come from heaven and God. From the first, from the beginning, from the very first of the quarters of heaven northward. And that word northward, it really stuck out to me because I was reading in Deuteronomy chapter two, verse three, a couple of weeks ago. And this scripture just kept popping out to me, this word northward. And it says, ye have encompassed this mountain long enough. Turn you northward. And I was like, hmm, north, like, why is God telling them to turn their northward? And then I'm seeing here in James that the word above also means to turn 
northward. It actually says from the very first of the quarters of heaven northward. So it made me dig into the word northward um, in Deuteronomy, and it actually means hidden. That is gloomy and unknown to hide, treasure, store, or store up your treasures. Doesn't Jesus tell us to store our treasures up in heaven? So the word northward actually means to store our treasures up in heaven. And heaven is also a hidden place. And it's also the will of God that we do not know. So not only was the children of Israel encompassing Mount Seir around and around and around again in a circle over and over and over again. Until God said, turn you northward. When we are moving in the will of God, he will turn us and he will give us direction in the ways that are hidden to us. But God knows them because it's stored up in heaven. The ways of God is from above. And I found that to be so amazing. It is absolutely amazing. And when I when I when I just see that the just the correlation of the word of God between Old Testament and New Testament, it just it like warms my heart. <laughs> it literally like warms my heart and it just makes me continue to seek after him even more because what more can I find in your word? Like what more can you show me? Like allow my eyes to be open to catch little things like this. And I found that to just be absolutely amazing in the word northward being the quarters of heaven. It, it is actually the will of God that we can only see through the stained glass. Mm. But once Christ comes back, we will know and be able to see the full glory and plan of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So while we're still here looking out the stained glass, seeing partials of the plan of God, we need to be storing our treasures up in heaven. We need to be being led by the spirit, even though it may look gloomy, it is unknown, it is hidden. The will of God is perfect and we can trust in that. We can believe in it because God is faithful to perform his work. And if he has called us to a place or a space in a season, then we can best believe that he has already been working in that space before we even step foot there. And so I'm going to go and move right along to the word sensual. Now, this is what got me, okay? Because I have a friend that always talks about the beastly nature of man. And when I read this, I was just like, oh, okay. So the word sensual it says, it means, and it says this, which is the lower or beastal nature occupied with mere animal things. The principle of animal life, which men have in common with the brutes, a savagely violent person or animal. And I 
was just like, oh my gosh. Like, is this what you've talking about all this time? Like, this is amazing. Like, it's right here in scripture. And I actually want to give you guys a definition of the word brutes. It's a savagely violent animal. Cold, blooded, cruel, or insensitive person. A beast. That's literally the word. That's literally the meaning. And I was just like, wow. We have to tame that sensual side of us like we have to tame that beastal side of us we have to come under the subjection of God and allow him to do his perfect work in us to change us to full to mold us to continue to put us on the potter's wheel to mold us into who he has predestined us to be since the beginning of time. And it's so crazy because the potter's wheel, when I think about the potter's wheel, it always makes me think about, um, I was, I was watching a movie or something. I don't remember what I was watching, but they were molding clay on the potter's wheel. And what the person was saying was basically, if you roll the wheel, if you press the the pedal too hard, the clay will fly off and splat everywhere. And if you do it too slow, the clay will harden up before you have a chance to really shape it. So you have to put the speed at exactly the right speed in order for the clay to do what it needs to do in your hands. And as the potter is molding that clay, if it starts to feel dry and cracked in a certain areas, they have a little bucket of water next to the wheel where they can grab some water, scoop it up and throw it like all over wherever it is, wherever they need it to continue to mold and shape that clay out into the shape that they wanted, that they intended to ha- to have it, <clears throat> to continue to mold and shape it into the form that they want. And I found that to be so interesting. When we continue to sit on the potter's wheel, God continues to mold us. He continues to shape us. And when we start to feel dried out and cracked and beat up, we have the reservoir of Christ that never runs dry We have the living water that we can drink from and never thirst again. How amazing is that? Like God is amazing. And in staying on the potter's wheel, he's then shaping and molding us and taking those things out of us that does not belong. This beastal nature to be preoccupied with animal things, to live a savage, violent life. That is not the life that God has for his people. And so as I read verse 16, it says, For where envying and strife 
is there is confusion in every evil work. We can see that in the consequences of jealousy and strife and selfish ambition, envy and self-seeking cause nothing but disorder and confusion. And a practice that shows all kinds of evil. It literally says in every evil work. So, I mean, who knows how many there is? I don't even know. You know, it's just like, what? Like, every evil work? Yes, every. Because it goes opposite. It goes against what God says. Mm. So, if it's not for God, it's against God. And that's the part that... It just took my um, my mind on, on a whirlwind when I kind of just sat and just read this scripture time and time again. Like I read it over and over and over because it just kept hitting me in so many different ways that if I operate in jealousy of others, if I operate in selfish ambition and self-seeking, it causes nothing but disorder and we know that God is a God of order and so if this is causing disorder it's because it's going against what God is that means that we are not operating in the will of God but we're operating in contrary to his will over our lives we have to be mindful but the wisdom that is from above is first pure I love that it is first pure it is possible to hand in and condemn that wisdom that is earthly that wisdom that is sensual that that wisdom that is not of God it is possible for us to condemn that wisdom and then replace that with being guided by the wisdom that is from above. That means that you look to Christ, who is the wisdom of God. And we know that because of what Colossians says, you know, what Paul writes about Christ, that he is the wisdom of God. He's literally presented to the Colossian church as the wisdom of God. So therefore, there is no confusion where the wisdom of God is. There is nothing but good discipline and stability in faith. Because where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And we can depend on that. We can count on that. We can believe in that because that is the shorties of God. It is first pure, then peaceable, then gentle and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits without partiality and without hypocrisy. I love the fact that James started off with the feature of being pure. The wisdom of God from above, it is first pure. James emphasizes that purity comes first. Purity is the most important because our God himself 
is pure. He is in no way connected to sin. And we can also read that in the book of James, but that's in chapter one. I actually advise us to read the entire book of James because it's awesome. (laughs) When there is sin in our lives, we cannot possibly be guided by the wisdom that is from above and there can neither be mentioned of the following of the any of the other features here. If we first cannot be guided because our hearts are not pure, because we're connected to sin, then there is no peace. There will be no gentleness. It won't be easy for us to entreat it. We won't be full of mercy or good fruits without partiality and hypocrisy. Because purity starts first. If we confess our sins and become pure again, then there shall be peace. But we first have to repent. It's imperative that we stay in a posture of repentance. In 1 John chapter 9, it says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Not some, but all. Only if we confess our sins individually or collectively. All types of unrighteousness will be cleansed from us. And just the confessing to our Lord and to our Savior that we have committed sin against him. We want to repent and ask for his forgiveness. Then and only then can there come peace. And I find that it's it's so amazing. It is so amazing how in the book of Matthew, man, the Sermon on the Mount. So the book of Matthew, chapter five, verses eight and nine, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the children of God. How amazing is that? This is how our Lord Jesus, he speaks about it at the time of the Sermon on the Mount, where on purity also follows peace. Mm. After purity, we have peace. After peace, we are also capable of being gentle meaning that you will not seek to defend your rights and demand things for yourself, but you will handle everyone. And I mean everyone with loving kindness and with compassion. The same way that Jesus was moved with compassion for the people is the same way that we can move in compassion for everyone that we come into contact with. We can be reasonable, which means to be subjective, available, and correctable. 
We can base these things on our personal relationship with God. Because we have to make it personal. To be in relationship with God, we have to make it personal. It is about being in right standing with God. But if you don't know God personally in your life, how, how, how can you build a relationship with somebody that you don't know? How can you expect somebody that you don't know to show up for you? How can you expect somebody that you don't know to do something for you? If we allow ourselves to be taught by the wisdom from above, we will be full of mercy and good fruits that will be visible in our lives. Because when we start to bear fruit, it will be visible, whether it's good fruit or bad fruit. And we can see that in the case of Jesus, when he walked this earth, he bore all good fruit. Everyone who has come into contact with him during his ministry, during his time walking here, their lives were changed drastically for the better. When people meet you, do they automatically see you? As the child of God, do you change people's lives by speaking life into them? Do you speak life into people's circumstances? Are you the type of person that gives an aura of peace, of purity, of gentleness, of mercy without partiality or hypocrisy? Like, are you that person? Are you unwavering in your faith? Are you being steadfast in the things that are of God? Are you moving in a capacity that is showing others around you the type of person that God has created you to be? We have to be unwavering in our faith. Getting away from religion and getting into the word of God. What does God's word say for you? When you read it, what is what is sticking out to you? Are you studying? Are you being diligent in seeking? And finally, it says, without hypocrisy, which means that you do not have to pretend to be different than who you are. You ain't got to pretend to be somebody that you're not. It's so interesting because a hypocrite actually means an actor. To pretend to be somebody else that you're not. We don't have to live in that reality because that's a false reality, honestly. That's not the portion that God has for us. You can show all of that in the world and practice that towards others, but you got to do it from a real place. These features of the wisdom that is from above are the fruit of righteousness. Verse 18 tells us, and the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace for them that make peace. They come from righteousness. If they are practiced, they are sown as it is. 
These fruits can only be sown in peace. Peace is the motive to sow the fruit. And what does this fruit deliver? Peace. In Psalms 85 verse 10, it says, Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. If you make peace, if you are a peacemaker, then you will reap peace. We have to remember that the word tells us that we reap what we sow. So if we go to the book of Galatians, chapter six, verse seven, it says, do not be deceived. Okay. God is not mocked for whatever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. And the thing about it is that we're always sowing. All the words you speak and all the deeds that you do are seeds sown by you. If your words and your deeds are inspired by the wisdom from above, you will reap a wonderful, fruitful peace in your life. But if everything that you speak with your tongue is negative, is hurtful, you will reap those negative and hurtful things. We have to be intentional with the things that comes out of our mouths. We have to continue to seek those things that are from above, that are godly. And so I challenge you all today with the question, in what way can the wisdom from above be effective in your life? Be honest with yourselves, but most of all, be honest with God. Because he knows the heart of man. There's no place that we can go and hide from him. It's just not possible. But in what way can the wisdom from above be effective in your life today? Because we're not guaranteed life tomorrow. We can't think about what tomorrow will bring. But today, in what way can the wisdom from above be more effective in your life. And with that, I'm going to go ahead and pray us out of here. And I just want to thank you all for joining me here on the Pace Place podcast for another episode of Motivational slash Mindful Mondays. You guys go out and be blessed people. Walk in the potential of who God has created you to be and seek after that heavenly wisdom that is from above, that only our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ and God the Father can give us. But it is through the Son that we are able to be back in right standing with the Lord so that in the speaking and using our mouths and our tongues to speak, that we are speaking out of a good conversation from meekness of wisdom. We are being wise and understanding in the things that God has called us to speak. We're not being envious in our hearts of any person in our lives that is not in our lives.
and we understand that that wisdom in the jealousy comes from the enemy. And we never want to be living in his will, but in the will of God at all times. And so I challenge you all today to watch what proceeds out of your mouth. Is it blessings or will it be curses? It's your decision because ultimately we all have free will. So we should speak those things that God perceives as right in his sight. And so, most gracious and heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord God, for this day. We thank you for another opportunity that you have given us, Father God, to just go over your word, read what it says, and apply those things to our hearts, Lord God. Apply those things to our minds, and most of all, Father God, apply those things in our natural, in the physical, Father God. Apply your word to our lives, Father God. We continue to thank you and praise you just because of who you are and how you continue to move on behalf of your people, Father God. How you continue to show up on behalf of your people, Father God. Even when it doesn't look right, even when it doesn't sound right, Lord God, you are always moving on our behalf. And I just continue to thank you and I continue to praise you because you are more than worthy to be praised, Father God. I speak blessings over everyone's life, Father God, and I just ask you, Lord God, to do what only you can do in their lives, Lord God. Continue to move on behalf of your people, Father God. Continue to allow your people to walk into the manifestation of who you have called us to be, Lord God, and just continue to show yourself mighty in all situations, Father God. We love you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. We continue to thank you. We continue to honor you, Father God. Continue to give us a heart's posture of servitude so that we may be able to serve you, Lord God, but also serve your people. To be able to show loving kindness, Father God, and the wisdom that comes from above, that only comes from you, Father God, and bear good fruit from the wisdom that you have placed inside of us, from the wisdom that we are constantly seeking in you, Father God. Give us the heart's posture of seeking because you told us in your word that if we seek, we shall find father god and so give us the zeal to seek after those things that are of you the divine things the things that are good we love you lord we just continue to thank you and we continue to praise you in jesus name amen and amen